Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through hard times, data with instant analysis of the horror show at WWE Extreme Rules. And that is going to be a horror show. <laughs> I love that. That is the question, Bailey. How did we like that? And we are going to break it all down. We're getting together uh, just moments after WWE Extreme Rules went off the air Sunday night. This, of course, is your host, the Silver King Adam Silverstein. You can follow me on Twitter at Silverstein Adam. And joining me, the normal WWE co-host of this podcast, Chris Benini. You can follow him at Chris Benini. Chris, um, that was a pay-per-view. Yeah, I'm just glad we survived it because uh, not a lot of people did. There were some yeah scary moments there. There were, not just on the show itself, but on Twitter and uh, wherever I saw people reacting to that show. It's interesting. Uh, definitely one of the more divisive WWE pay-per-views in quite some time. And I think even on this show, we have not spoken about our opinions. We did not speak during the show. I think even on this show, we are going to have some disagreements. Look, I've said that before. I've been wrong. You, I and hope I, so. you and I end up aligned on a lot of things, you know, many times, but I have a feeling there will be some arguments on today's show, but for the instant analysis for pay-per-views, we have a tradition here on the getting over podcast on the other ones that I've been on. We crack a bottle, we drink a beer while we do the instant analysis tonight. I am bringing in a special double cream stout from bells at a Comstock, Michigan, Never had this before. It will be a first timer for me. Uh, Chris, let me open this up. What are you what are you drinking tonight? Hey, shout out to Bells as a native Michigander, I gotta say. Good choice. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, good point. Yes. Uh, I have got some Abita Purple Haze. Oh yeah. The spirit awesome. of New Orleans, the spirit of a swamp. Uh, it felt right. You should have got the swamp gator. That's true, but this is what I already had in the fridge. So. All right, fair enough. The her purple haze is good, Abita. Is very good. Not actually the best brewery in New Orleans. Uh, if you actually go down there, there are some great ones, in fact, including Parish, which is very good brewing. But I don't even know if that's specifically in New Orleans, but um, five or six great breweries in New Orleans. Great city. Love it. Awesome. Okay. We are going to get into instant analysis of WWE Extreme Rules. By the way, before we do, of course, Apple Podcasts, drop us a five-star rating and review. Thank us for doing the instant analysis. Tell us how much you love the show. I would greatly appreciate it. We will talk more about that at the end of the show. But we are here to talk about Extreme Rules, and we have bantered on long enough. Um, look, overall, when it comes to this show, and we'll get to grades at the end of the show. I did pre-show grades and post-show grades. We'll talk about what the fans, what the listeners are thinking about Extreme Rules. <laughs> For me, this was a, a tale of two shows almost. On one hand, I thought we got some absolutely incredible wrestling. Some of the best action that we've had at a WWE pay-per-view, especially in the three main non-cinematic matches, some of the best action that we've had in a pay-per-view in quite some time. You're talking about three matches that had they all finished properly, and one of them did, two didn't, are A's in my book. Maybe not five stars, but four plus star matches, incredibly entertaining, tore, would have torn the roof off arenas that, had, that were full of fans. And then I think there's the second half where you kind of look at it and you say, well, wrestling is only as good as the booking. And from the main event, the Wyatt Swamp fight and the booking of two of the other matches that I just mentioned that I thought were great action wise, 
it left more than a lot to be desired in many cases. And I think even if you wanted to be really positive about the show, if you wanted to say, you know, there, there was incredible action. In fact, as Keith Lee might say, that's the most action I've had all year. If you wanted to say that you could, but you have to give the caveat of, yeah, but the booking sucked. And ultimately where I come out of extreme rules is I was entertained. I saw some good wrestling, but the booking sucked. Yeah. I, I, by the way, I don't know if you heard a train in the background of me. If I do apologize, I, I, I Braun Strowman that, uh, found a way good. out of the swamp. Yeah, I believe. Yeah. I, I think the train conductor was tooting, tooting one out for, uh, for <laughs> in memory of, of Braun Strowman. Um, but yeah, it was, it felt like a number of these matches just had a, like a clear point where it just, went in a strange direction like it was good up before point and then things go really off the rail suddenly and then the match ends and you don't know what's what's gonna happen i was entertained i think there was weirdly in terms of booking sometimes you feel like they booked all these matches separately and not right together collectively because right. there were some repeats of some things that happened uh and 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 things that if you paid a little bit more attention to the booking when you're putting it together, the agents or whatever, what have you, uh, probably would have helped a little bit. But uh, yeah, certainly a strange pay-per-view. You make a great point. It's almost as if each match was booked in a vacuum, not considering how that booking would look compared to other ones that were happening and other matches that happened immediately before or after it. You know, it's one thing if you do a couple of finishes in a certain manner and you separate them, one at the beginning of the show and then one three quarters of the way through, but to almost have multiple schmas type of finishes back to back to back, you're kind of sitting there like, well, can I get a damn finish to a good match at a pay-per-view? You know, it's very, it can be very frustrating in that regard. So we're going to break all that down. Um, on this show, we go back to front, which is not advisable in other circumstances. But when we break down pay-per-views, we go back to front, meaning we start with the main event and go forward. Before though, we talk about the main event. I just wanted to give WWE production, a lot of credit for the opening of that show. Oh, yeah. I thought it was a top, top tier video package. Uh, it made Extreme Rules feel like a big deal, and it sold the stupid horror show gimmick better than WWE did at all over the entire month leading into it. As we said on the ultimate preview to the uh, Extreme Rules, which you can listen to, I don't know why you would, because now, now you're already at the instant analysis. But if this was a Halloween pay-per-view, it would have been so much better. The placement of it would have been better. And I think even the reception to the pay-per-view, understanding some of the things that WWE tried to do, you would have been more accepting of it in October than you are in mid-July when you're in the summer where you've had pay-per-views like Great Balls of Fire in the past or Extreme Rules regular style, where you know you're going to get a lot of action. It's really going to set the stage for SummerSlam. This did set the stage for SummerSlam, but not really in the way that you, not in a good way. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was filled with schmazes and stuff. But, but my point is that this opening segment, this opening vignette, video package, whatever you want to call it, it made you going into the show say, you know what? I may have some reservations, but I'm excited about this. Yeah, it, it felt like, you know, one of those old Attitude Era openings when, when you have people in some studio or in a, in a train station, just recording them doing stuff, whatever it made it, it, it kind of got you excited uh, heading into it. And uh, yeah, so that was a good way to start it, I think. And again, I, I don't know when this became the horror show. They changed the name a couple times. I think if they had kind of had a plan ahead of time, uh, it, it would work a little bit better. And the, the other thing that kind of hung over this was 
right before that, like at, between the kickoff show and the main show, they give you a commercial for Randy Orton versus Big Show on Monday. And right. you remember, oh, there's like big matches that are not on this. And then we didn't have the Jeff Hardy Sheamus bar fight, which is coming Friday. So it, it, it was a little weird kind of how that set up, too. Well, you're right. They moved two matches completely off the pay-per-view, two stipulation matches that were clearly planned for Extreme Rules. And they did it because the ratings are failing. On Raw and SmackDown right now, people are not really loving the pandemic era. And I think the TV product actually, in terms of storylines and booking, has been pretty good. But there's, it's clearly less entertaining and you don't feel as much of a necessity to watch live um, when there's no fans there. It's just, it's a different type of product, right? You're really watching for the wrestling as opposed to the extravaganza of the entire thing, the spectacle that wrestling brings. Um, but because they pushed those two matches off the card, both of which would have found a nice home here, and then they don't even have the Apollo Crews MVP match, and we'll talk about that a little bit later in its proper spot, all of a sudden there's three matches that you expected to have on this show that are now not on the show. The thing ends at 9.30, it's two and a half hours, and it ends, and this is where we will begin, with the Wyatt Swamp fight, Braun Strowman against Bray Wyatt in a non-title match, despite the fact that Braun is the universal champion. And, you know, I thought they ended on a sour note. That's probably the best way that I can put it. I thought out of the other matches that preceded it, the three matches that preceded it, all three of them would have been a better end to the show, even if you didn't like some of the finishes, than this match. This just left me largely in a womp-womp type of state. I will say, before we get into the match itself, I want to give some laud laudations to it almost. Uh, I don't even know if that's a word. I don't think it is. Uh, well, Wyatt? <laughs> well, before we get into that, let me talk about that very, that very Platitudes, end. I think that is match. what I was looking for. Go ahead. Yeah. yeah. So that end, I, I was with you. It was kind of a slow, strange ending. Braun thought he had won it, then he hadn't. Then people coming up, he didn't know what was going on. It kind of dragged for a little bit. But then when The Fiend came out, and you came out of the water looking at the camera, that noise is playing. That got that was kind of spooky. That that last feeling got me. The, the, the previous minute, two minutes didn't, but the final shot did get me. That is exactly the opinion I am going to state in about five minutes when we get to it. But I do agree with you that the final scene was great, but the final match, in my opinion, was not. So before we even get into the match, though, I want to give a little bit of credit. Like I said, platitudes, not laudations. I don't even know where I came up with that. Maybe this beer is affecting me more than I expected. Um, but so on SmackDown, you, you had Wyatt with that swamp vignette and Strowman with his passionate promo atop the ramp. I thought both of them did a really good job making this feel important. I wish they had done this more, and I wish they had done it almost a week prior and use some of the things that we saw on, on Sunday night during the pay-per-view on Friday Night SmackDown to promote the match, such as they did the Firefly Funhouse, and I popped huge for this. Uh, I loved the shot at, well, I guess Ramblin' Rabbit took it, not really Bray Wyatt, but that they took at the SmackDown karaoke contest, calling it the most horrifying, disgusting footage known to man. The Firefly Funhouse is about a year old at this point, and somehow it is still delivering time and time again. I loved that they previewed the main event with that. They also ran a swamp vignette during the show as well. It told me that that was going to be the main event, obviously. And it wasn't much of a surprise, even if I hoped it wouldn't be. But the build up to this match, I thought they did an A job, like a, a passing grade, 
they got me very curious and wanting to see this cinematic match between SmackDown on Friday night and the pay-per-view up until the match began on Sunday. So something we didn't talk about because it didn't time up with the show, but Braun gave a very strong promo on SmackDown for this match. And he started screaming at John Morrison saying he didn't want the fiend to come out. He has to end Bray Wyatt now. So, so it, so it doesn't reach that point. Really. I was like, that's kind of what I'd been waiting to see. I think and that, that really set it up. I think pretty well on SmackDown. I was not a fan of the Firefly Funhouse vignettes leading into this on Sunday because it felt random. Cause he wasn't doing that character anymore. He was doing the cult leader, uh, the, kind of fourth wall type of stuff. It just, it felt out of place to me. It, it, they came back to it, I know, with the cheerleader thing during the match. So I, I kind of got it, but I was all in on, you know, I was so focused on the cult Bray Wyatt that when Firefly Funhouse came back, it was, uh, it was kind of, it was just kind of jarring a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I'll disagree, but, uh, you know, it's just, just our opinions here. I, I like that they did a Halloween slash horror show type of Funhouse He's dressed up like a vampire. He's trying to be spooky. It just fit with the entire theme. So I appreciate when they try to get creative to those lengths. So I'll always give extra credit for it. But all right, on to the match itself, which is really what we're here to talk about. It obviously started very storyline heavy. You had Strowman's arrival, Wyatt disappearing uh, in the rocking chair, Strowman seeing the old version of himself, and then metaphorically trying to break the chains as Wyatt tried to like re-indoctrinate him. That was good. I accepted it. I thought there was an amazing touch a little bit later using Alexa Bliss to tempt Strowman, basically calling back to how he's always wanted to be with her in storyline, um, that she was something that he wanted to obtain, but was never really able to. Maybe he was scared to do so. I don't know if Bliss was supposed to be a manifestation of Sister Abigail for him. Um, maybe that's thinking about it too hard, but either way, it was good. Everything from that point forward. And I accepted everything before that. I said, you know what? They're telling a story to get to the action. So the story I appreciated, but once we got to the action, I thought it was a total failure. It seemed like they were going in a horror movie type of direction, but none of it was scary or really of that genre. There was too much lag between action. The editing I thought was horrible. It did not really succeed action the way the Boneyard match did. And while there were touches of the Firefly Funhouse match in terms of using psychology, switching scenes and a rapid pace to, to kind of make you think what is actually happening here. Is this all in his head or is it all in real life? The fact that it wasn't all in his head, like the Firefly Funhouse match was, kind of made this a failure to me. So I did not really think that that psychology was enough ultimately to save the match. The finish, Chris, was also confusing. On one hand, the match may have ended where Strowman said, it's over right? And the logo came up on the screen. Okay, he won. You're, you're done. But then the logo fades out, which, you know, we've got finishes like that before where you think it's over, but it's not actually over. The logo fades out. And then Wyatt, or really the fiend, emerges from the water with the mandible claw and drowns Strowman for the win. The idea of the fiend popping out of the water was very, I hope I got the reference right, Friday the 13th to me with Jason in the lake. So I did actually like, like you mentioned earlier, the final 15 seconds of the pay-per-view, where now the lake went from black to red, the fiend is out, it's making, you know, the, the crazy hypnotic type of noise, and you know that we're headed for the fiend versus Braun Strowman at SummerSlam. So all of that was good. I appreciated that touch. But a lot of people think the fiend won the match. I don't know, man. I'm sitting here thinking Strowman actually won the match, 
And then after the match was over, the Fiend dragged Strowman down with him because this was not Strowman against the Fiend. It was Strowman against cult leader Bray Wyatt. But besides all of that, the storytelling for the finish, the action on the dock and in the swamp, I found it boring. I found it monotonous. I just didn't like any of it. Although I do agree with you. I did appreciate the final scene of the pay-per-view. See, we do disagree because I'm actually the opposite. I, I thought the action was okay. I thought there was... You know, it, in true cult leader Bray Wyatt fashion, it was way too much talking. I it, it, when, when he had Braun, I don't know how long he was talking to. It Braun felt like it was not. Yeah. It felt like forever. I was like, oh yeah, this is the, this is the part of cult leader Bray that that we didn't like. So th- once they got in, in the whole, I, there's like two random guys attacking him. The guy in the fire, the guy who got put on fire. That was all weird. But when it was the two of them on the dock. That's when I finally got into it because I was like, okay, now they're just now they're having the fight. Now it feels like the boneyard match, and that's kind of what I wanted was just just have a, a fight in a swamp and maybe have some things come up. But like leaning so much into the flashback stuff was weird. I will say I also liked the Alexa Bliss thing. I think I'm, I'm sure that was just a you know manifestation of of you know Bray was playing tricks on him. I don't think it was actually Alexa, but I thought I thought that was a yeah. great callback. It was a great callback, a nod to. Uh, team little big and all that stuff. So once it was just the two of them, I thought it was pretty good. I, I thought it was fine. It was serviceable. It wasn't great. I probably wouldn't take it over any of the other stuff, but it was it was perfectly fine after that. And in terms of who won, I mean, it's got to be Bray, right? It's not like there's a one, two, three. The, you know, the only way to determine who wins is who survived. And I, I don't know if Braun Strowman's you know dead well, now or what, but clearly, clearly, I, I think you got to say Bray Wyatt. Won. Well, I don't know. I don't know because it's tough to say because. This, he said it's over. Not that Bray's, yeah, but, but not, not, I know, no, no, I know. Not that Braun Strowman's word means anything, but he said it's over. The logo did come up. The screen did go to black, and then it came back. That's yeah, what that we, was that 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 that, would, that confused me when that happened. Well, that tells me that's the end of the match, and then the man oh, okay. on everything afterward was the post match. So, in my opinion, if I was, and we can look at WWE.com eventually and see who they actually have in the official results as the winner. I think Braun Strowman won maybe the match. Bray Wyatt, the Fiend, won the war is kind of how I would look at it. That's just my booking of it. I, you know, I think to sum it up, though, I thought the first five minutes were pretty good. I thought the last set 15 seconds, the final scene was great. It set the stage perfectly for SummerSlam. It did the job it needed to do with the Fiend. We know where that's going. But I don't know how long the match was, but the middle 15 minutes you know, I'm going to go. Oh, what a little freak. What a weirdo. And I think that's just where I'm going to leave it there. Yeah, I, I, I guess I could see you're saying Ron beat Bray and the Fiend is separate from Bray. So exactly. The Fiend coming out is, is that. So I guess I could buy that. I, I'm curious, like you said, what they say it is official. But yeah, I, I thought it was too much talking. Again, I, once it was just the two of them got onto the dock and stuff, I actually... Kind of liked it when they were in the water and walking in the water and throwing each other. I was thinking, like, I wonder what's kind of in this water. They're they're clearly like outdoors somewhere, I think. So I, I it, it that part actually kind of got me just thinking about what was in the water. So I thought it was good when it just got down to the two of them. By the way, that was not the start of a fifty cent track. That was me dropping a bottle cap. Um, I will say this: no matter what I think, no matter what you think, in the WWE Twitter poll of people's favorite match of the night, with the four main matches being the options. That is currently the voting favorite for match of the night. So hmm. people seem to like it. Uh, people that followed me that, that uh, tweeted the podcast, that DM'd us, they didn't. I was reading Reddit a little bit. Didn't seem to be 
universally liked by any means. Uh, I'll get you out of here on this in terms of this uh, match. Where does this rank among the WWE cinematic matches? To this point, for me, it is the worst of all of them. And honestly, I think it's the last one I want to see for a while. So, so what are our candidates here? We have the we have the 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 Funhouse. We have the Boneyard match. We have Money in the Bank. I didn't see the NXT one. Do we have any others? I think for that, WWE. Was there one at Backlash? I get. Like, oh, oh, oh the, I, I guess if you count Greatest Wrestling Match, ah, it's I, tough. It's tough. I, to I, count I don't know that. if I'd count it. You know, I probably would put it last. Though. Oh, you could also do. You could also maybe do the False Count anywhere at WrestleMania. Maybe. No, I, I don't. No, that was one continuous thing. I, right, I, I, I talk about Edge Orton. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah, fine. no, no, no. I, I, I thought it was fine. I would. Um, last man standing, not false count anywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I would put it. I would still put it last. Um, although I don't think it was bad. And I, we'll get to another match here in a minute that I actually wish had been uh, cinematic instead. Yeah. But uh, there, there were there were actually uh, two NXT matches. I thought I thought every single oh. one that they've done has been better than this one. I thought this you're, was right. I, you're right. You're right. I like the the, the 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 backyard the backlot uh, yeah dream Adam Cole that was good I didn't see the Johnny Gargano one which is shocking but regardless um, for me no matter what this was the worst so even if you liked it yeah you, ha- you kind of have to say and you guys know I did not like Money in the Bank um, this was still bottom of the barrel for me but look we got a lot more to talk about let's move out of this and let's I, I'm gonna I think everything else honestly has its positives to extreme positives. I'm going to start with the WWE Championship match, not start, move on to the WWE Championship match. Drew McIntyre defending the title against Dolph Ziggler in a match where Ziggler got to choose the stipulation and waited until the last minute. And Ziggler ultimately chose an extreme rules match for himself with McIntyre not able to compete under extreme rules and losing the match if he uses weapons, gets disqualified, or counted out. In terms of a stipulation choice, I thought this was very well done. This is the perfect stipulation to choose if you're a smart, conniving type of heel. And it created a lot of drama throughout the match. I also thought it played out perfectly during the match, especially when you had McIntyre, who was going to do a suplex, but ended up having to turn his body to avoid a table and drop Ziggler just onto the outside. Then you saw where McIntyre was trying to finish the match with the Claymore, but Ziggler used the chair to counter it. And then again, late in the near countout, when McIntyre ate that awesome elbow drop that Ziggler did from atop the um, ring post off to the outside through the table. He slid in at 9.9. That's one of the best countout saves I've uh, seen in a long time. I thought Ziggler, Chris, worked his ass off in this match because he had to be the constant aggressor against the more dominant McIntyre. He hit that zigzag, famouser, Uranagi trio onto the chair. That was another convincing near fall. But after, you know, McIntyre kicked out of that, you knew what was going to happen. Ziggler was going to go for the super kick. McIntyre would counter with the Claymore and get the win, which obviously was the right booking. So, you know, again, not a five-star match, but this is an A match for me. This was perfectly told. It was booked properly. The finish was absolutely nailed. The stipulation was really smart. It probably should have main evented the show. Just an A, straight A for me on this. Can you imagine that finish if there was a crowd? Oh my God, they would have oh, gone crazy. Man, they would have gone nuts when Drew McIntyre does the kip up into the Claymore out of nowhere. Yeah. Oh, that was beautiful. And and that finish, and that finish in that match continued to further my belief that Drew McIntyre is what they wanted Roman Reigns to be. The, the guy who yep. gets all, all the odds put against him and he overcomes it. And but you're 
you're okay with it. You're you're happy for him. You believe it because he's this big guy. There was one, I think Ziggler hits a zigzag on McIntyre, and McIntyre got right back up. Like he was stumbling, but he got right back up. And I was like, oh, this this feels like super Cena type of thing. But I'm like, I, I just I'm okay with it. I'm not I don't have negative just associations with this going on right now. And then when he hits that finish, I was like, oh man, that's that was so much better than like a Roman spear out of nowhere. And not to say anything wrong of Roman Reigns. I love him. I think he's great. I, I think it's a, yes, the big dog. I think he gets a bad rap, but just, it obviously, you know, was not working in some ways as, as the main face champ. And Drew just continues to be, I think everything they wanted Roman to be fair or not, uh, whatever happened to Roman. Uh, but, but well, their bookings would happen to Roman. I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And it just, again, I, I say this every week. Drew McIntyre is absolutely killing it, and he just he deserves to have a crowd with him and behind him at some yeah. point. It's it's very depressing that he does not have a crowd to really. And, and honestly, he's not the only one. Bailey and Sasha Banks deserve one too. But man, if Drew had a crowd, he would be so insanely over. He's booked so strong. And you're right, that match, the finish to that match, the, the whole match really, but the finish in particular, you substitute a spear for the Claymore. That's a Roman Reigns finish. But Pete, the difference is if you did it with Reigns because of the way Reigns is booked, people would boo it that he overcame all these obstacles and all it took was one spear. But with McIntyre, because you believe in the character, because you like the way he's being booked, you accept it and you say, damn, that was a great match. But I do. I thought Drew did a great job. I thought Ziggler absolutely killed it. I mean, we talked when they first booked this and they traded Ziggler from SmackDown to Raw. We're like, look, man, they wanted to find a filler pay-per-view match, whatever. And just like I said, just like he did with Kofi, the guy turned chicken shit into chicken salad, made a really good match, told a good story. The, the segments that he's done on Raw over the past few weeks have been very good. Uh, Dolph Ziggler remains one of the most underrated talents in WWE history. Yes, people say that he should have been a multi-time world champion. They give him a lot of credit. But I don't think he actually gets the credit for the specific things that he does. Like you say long-term you know, Dolph Ziggler was great. He should have been a multi-time champion. He should have done all these things. But individually, those individual things that he does that make you say that, it's just incredible the way he can work a crowd, work a mic, tell a story, bringing in Heath Slater the way he did, the way he even at the beginning of this match announced the stipulation. The pause was a little bit too long and it was a little bit depressing just to hear extreme rules. But then he turned it right around on you and said, actually, it's only for me. You know, I thought the crowd could have sold that a little bit better, like started booing him louder. But, dude, I don't know. A match. Just thoroughly enjoyed this. That that elbow drop you mentioned, too, by the way. Oh, Sick. man, that was incredible. Yeah. And it deserved a better camera angle. Like, they, they kept, yeah, the, they kept the low shots, the high shots. I hate how WWE does that for high spots. Uh, it, it honestly takes away from how ridiculous it was. And it looked like Ziggler pretty much landed on the, on the mat. You know, yeah. his elbow hit Drew, but his hip – Straight on that floor, so uh, and hell of a hell of an elbow, and yeah, I, I've been a big Ziggler fan for a while. Sometimes he gets annoying; it's kind of repetitive. But you know, I've always thought he was a guy who could have been the face of the company. He he can do everything yeah. you want him to do. A, a great heel champion in the style of a Ric Flair type of deal, and and you know, The Rock even uh, the other day on Instagram commented that uh, on WWE's Instagram that he was he, he picked he was picking. Uh, Ziggler to win. So, and, and then I, I don't know if you saw it, but then McIntyre replied to The Rock and said, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Yeah, I saw what that. you think. That was pretty funny. But uh, yeah, so I mean, Ziggler gets a lot of respect, I think, from the people uh, who, who know, who know what, this, what this takes. 
but as a fill-in, you know, one-off championship feud guy, he is great in that spot. Ziggler is a B-side the same way that Randy Orton is. The difference between Randy Orton and Ziggler is that Randy Orton historically has gotten the booking to be a main event B-side and Ziggler hasn't. And I really yeah. think that's the only difference in terms of talent, in terms of mic ability. Absolutely incredible. And since you're bringing up some social media stuff, I don't know if anyone saw, but Roman Reigns posted uh, some pictures on Instagram of him working out. The guy looks like an absolute hoss right now. And if I tweeted this from the podcast account, but if this guy comes back, whenever he comes back, and Vince puts that stupid freaking tactical vest on this guy, he needs to go to hell. This guy, look, look, you know, he got, he's got to be shirtless. He's got to oh, be showing man. off his backs. He does. Yeah, I, I just I just pulled this up after you mentioned it. It's it's insane the way he looks, and to put a vest over that doesn't do anything for anyone. So no. I mean, you know, plus a vest, plus a vest is a heel thing. It's a D'Lo Brown thing. It's true. It is a heel. This guy, this guy, uh, he's got he's got the tools. We'll give an extra. For that. Okay, Seth Rollins defeats Rey Mysterio in an I versus I match. Really, sorry, I for an I match. Again, I'm all over the place tonight. Uh, a couple of things I took notice at the start of the match. It was live and not pre-taped, which made me kind of know right at the beginning that CGI was out of the picture. And I kind of appreciated that they did it live. F it, we'll do it live as someone who I don't really want to name once said. Um, Mysterio was also still selling the blacked out right eye in his mask for basically the entire match. So I don't know if he can see through it. Obviously, there's a really good chance that he could, but he was selling that for the entire match and it only popped out when Rollins did that stomp at the end. I also thought the idea of bringing pliers to the ring would crush the eye, not remove it from the skull. I can't even believe I'm saying this and trying to analyze the idea of bringing pliers to the ring for a wrestling match. But nevertheless, I thought that was stupid. But the other two things, again, I appreciated that it was live and I liked that Mysterio was still selling the eye patch. The match started hot. Mysterio attacked Rollins from behind. Uh, they immediately went outside the ring and got extreme, obviously not wasting any time. This was probably the most extreme match on the show, obviously for good reason, but it did feel like extreme rules. This, this match made it feel like extreme rules. Obviously they tried various methods of eye extraction uh, the Falcon Arrow on the ring apron was a good spot. Then you had Mysterio kind of narrowly avoid being run into the kendo stick. That was really cool. And the match was just at a torrid pace with a lot of quick offense, including the diving sunset flip powerbomb outside the ring where Mysterio dove, caught Rollins, and flipped him right into the barricade. I thought that was awesome. And I also loved Mysterio before the finish doing Rollins stomp as a way of being super aggressive throughout the entire match. Somehow... When Rollins was had his eye right near the step, I thought it, it looked like the step was going into his eye or his eye socket. He sold that extremely well. And it felt to me like that was going to be the finish. And it felt climactic. I, one of the things I told you when we were doing the ultimate preview, I don't know how you can do an eye, you know, for an eye match and have that finish be an actual climax. It feels like it would be a letdown. And we can argue whether the finish ultimately was a letdown. But at that moment, I was hyped up. I was like, oh my God, I can't believe that this is actually going to happen. So obviously I said, uh, Rollins got out of it with like that low blow and then he stomped Mysterio's eye patch off. And then we got the finish as it was uh, with basically Mysterio's eye being run into the step for a second time, the same eye. I can see the finish being divisive. I really can. I thought it was the best that WWE could actually do Given the stipulation, did they book themselves into a corner? Maybe, but it worked. You got a hint of blood without gushing blood. 
they didn't show the eye being extracted, but you did see it between his fingers. They gave you a shot for a few seconds while he was on the ground. The referee uh, ran right over. Dominic came out of the backstage area. The referee was disgusted. The crowd gasped. And Rollins, you know, looks at what he just did and is flabbergasted, backs away, and somehow manages to legitimately vomit on command, like draws impressive level, and showed what looked like total remorse in the moment. So after all of that, as a finish, I thought they told a great story in the match. I thought the finish worked. That They promised an eye extraction. They gave it to us without it looking silly. And they sold that it happened by the referee running over to Mysterio and by Rollins being sick to his stomach at what he did. So to me, that told a better story than if they had done some stupid CGI thing of an eyeball hanging out of the socket like you know, Beatrix Kiddo in, um, uh, I, I remember her name, but how am I forgetting the name of the movie? Kill Bill 2 or whatever the case. I thought this was a, a win. I thought it was a win for a match, a win for a finish. I get why some people didn't like it, but I will not agree with you. So you, you laying it out like that actually makes it more tolerable to me. I was not a fan of this coming out of it. It was... It just it made the whole the stipulation made the whole match just weird and awkward because you know the whole point of this match is the finish of the match, right? So so you're just kind of waiting for it to get there. Not having a crowd made it you know it, it didn't help just by the type of thing this this was. And then I it was weird because first you thought they got Rollins, but then you don't know are we going to see a full on eyeball? We don't know. So they do the Rollins thing and he. Pulls out, he's bleeding, but I, I guess he's okay. And then they do the, the Ray thing. You don't really get a clear look. Rollins leaves. It's a couple seconds before they finally ring the bell. They're like, oh, I, I guess it happened then. And then... Well, they had to confirm. I mean, yeah, I mean this isn't what, a one, I, two, three. That's <laughs> yeah. what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I, I, I'm saying, you know, you said they did a good job given kind of what it was. I, I think I don't think they should have put themselves in that situation, though. In the sure. Do sure. an eye for an eye match. Is yeah. So... But we knew that, but, but this is my point, and I'm going to cut you off and then I'll let you finish. Yeah. We knew that going in. We knew that they backed themselves into a corner and we knew what the stipulation for the match was and how it needed to finish. So given all of the possible outcomes, I thought they did the best possible job they could. And I don't think this is a situation of even making, like I said earlier, chicken salad out of chicken shit. I thought this was a damn good match. And then I think the finish delivered on the promise. And you cannot like it. I'm, I'm okay with you not liking it or anyone not liking it, but this is not, in my opinion, something to complain about. That That's where I come down on it. I mean, it, I, I'm not sitting here thinking, oh, I wish, you know, oh, they, they blew a chance to do yada, yada, yada. Given the stipulation, I would have made this a cinematic match. Part of me kind of wonders if you should, if they should have made it just like really campy. I, I, I don't know. Just, that finish was weird. And then with Rollins puking, I was torn because I was like, you know, he's supposed to be crazy. He wants to do this. He already took out one eye. Technically, why is he puking this time? You only I, I, I didn't see it at first. I only saw it later on Twitter. Uh, did I see the actual eye that was there? So, but, but that, but again, and I'm sorry to keep cutting you off, but no, no, no. But sorry. that, but that was the point because if they showed it to you dangling right, out of but, his eye socket, but everyone's going to come out and say that was disgusting. I can't believe WWE did that. It looked fake. Anything, any other thing they did would have been worse 
than what but, they gave us. That's what I'm but, trying to get at here. But I'm saying that's what that's that's pretty much what they promised us. They just said an eye would be removed. They did not say that you would see it dangling from a skull. Right, but that's I'm just I, I'm I'm just saying that's that's it was a weird situation. You know, they didn't have to do an eye for an eye match. I again, I, I think they could have done it better. I don't think this could have been great either way. I, I did, you know, it was energetic at the beginning and all that, and it need, had the animosity it needed to have. But it was again just a weird stipulation, and I'm kind of just sitting there waiting for. All right, when's it going to happen? I, it, w- it was hard for me to get into it. Uh, that's fine. I'm not saying that that just because I like the match and everyone else has to like it. No, that's fine. The, the is, only yeah. the only opinion that I want understood that I think that I find is a difficult argument to make is if you tell me there's an eye for an eye match and you tell me the stipulation is an actual eye for an eye match. I mean, people point out that AEW just recently did an eye for an eye match. Okay, technically they did, but that was just the name of the match. It was just a, a a calling card for it. It was Moxley had his eye out. I forgot if it was Santana or Ortiz, but he tried to take one of their eyes out. So both guys were wearing an eye match or eye patch. I'm sorry. So therefore, it was an eye for an eye match. This was a literal eye for an eye match at a pay per view called Extreme Rules: The Horror Show, and this is professional freaking wrestling. And I felt they gave us a first of all, forget about the finish, a very good athletic entertaining high octane match between two amazing wrestlers and Seth Rollins and Rey Mysterio. And then I thought they delivered us a finish that told the story and actually gave us a a resolution. There's so much other stuff that happened on this pay-per-view. The Swamp Fighter is a great example. Another match we're going to talk about momentarily where there was actually not a resolution where you felt gypped. You came out of the match and you're like, so what was that? Like, like what actually, who actually won? What actually happened? Right. This, they gave us a finish. It wasn't disgusting to the point where, where I think people would be offended by it. Maybe they don't like Seth Rollins vomiting. Rollins performed incredibly, both from an acting standpoint and again, making himself vomit on command to that level. I mean, it's one thing to dry heave. It's another thing to vomit. The guy did it. Like, I, you could not like it, but he, uh, he freaking did it. I almost cursed. It's, it's, it's such a weird thing to do, like, for a, like, it's weird to do wrestling moves against each other when it's something like that. That's kind of why I wanted it to just be some sort of like grappling dirty, type yeah, of situation. Grappling street fight. Just, I don't, were there, I, I, were there technically extreme rules? I don't, I mean, the head kendo sticks and stuff was that, I guess. Well, if it's, it's anything goes with. Yeah. So <laughs> like, yeah. So like, I, I don't know. I kind of, no, I, I think it could have worked more if it was just a, just a brawl street fight type of thing in a back lot. And you're pulling out an eye or something like that. Yeah. Do, do it with something so serious on the line, such as removing an eyeball and possibly blinding somebody doing that in the context of a wrestling ring and doing wrestling moves against each other. It just, it just, it, I, I, it just, for me, it didn't click clearly it did it for you and different people feel differently. Just I'm explaining why I just never quite clicked. No, and, that, and like I said, it's totally fair. Totally fair. I just, it, there's a, I guess my point ultimately, and we'll move on. My point was there's a lot to complain about from this pay-per-view. I did not feel that this rose to the level of controversy or um, lacking effort that some other things did. I felt they put maximum effort into doing this the best way they possibly could, like it or not. I felt the effort was there and I appreciate that. That's, that's kind of the way I can wrap it up. Yeah. Um, now, moving into the match where I don't, you know, the effort was there also, but in different ways. Uh, the Raw Women's Championship, Asuka defending against Sasha Banks. A common theme throughout the night was that the match started 
hot at a breakneck pace. This, just like with Rollins Mysterio, uh, the same thing was here with Asuka and Sasha Banks. It was just incredible action at the start. Banks doing the drop toe hold reversal into the bank statement, taking some brutal German suplexes from Asuka, including one where she basically got folded in half. And Banks was just incredible generally throughout the entire match. I love that she worked a variety of different submission, joint manipulation type of moves. There were bank statement attempts. There were Oscar lock attempts. There was one that actually she got in. Obviously, there was the weird moment in the middle of the match with Sasha falling off the ropes and selling the knee. I'm not exactly sure what happened there. I'm not sure if it was a botched spot or Sasha nearly hurt herself, but just they kind of took a couple of moves out of the match and then just picked up the pace once she figured out she was okay. But it did slow down what was otherwise a really hot you know, situation that was going on right there. I would actually on, on that point real quick. I I I thought she slipped, but I I thought they played it off well, and 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 they reacted by they showed the replay of the previous move of the superplex that Sasha got out of, and she landed on her knees. And Samoa Joe pointed out, oh, she landed on her knee. Her knee was injured. That's why she fell off the rope. Just a, a great cover. Like I can't. Yes. I'm yes. fully like if, if if you explain it well. I'm all in on that. I, I, I'm all in on that. And I, it, it didn't, to me, it didn't really kind of slow it down because I just, I bought into it because I thought they did a good job. I just wasn't like, I was trying to determine in the moment, is she actually hurt or did she just slip and she's making believe she hurt to cover for it? Or is this part of the match? All three things could have been plausible in that situation, but I just, I wasn't sure what was happening. And because of that, I was actually worried for her. I mean, look, yeah. there's no one I've praised more really on this podcast over the last couple of weeks than Sasha Banks. And I was just like, you're not, you're not telling me that she's going to be booked to win this match and just tore her ACL. <laughs> like, yeah. like you can't, you can't tell me that's going to happen to Sasha here. You know what yeah. I mean? Once she yelled at the ref to get away, yes. that, yeah. that's when I was like, okay, she's okay. Now. That, that, that told me that at least I think, I mean, I guess I know, but that no, yeah. told me that, that she was okay. I was with you there. Now, as far as the finish. So, Ooh. so, okay. <laughs> I want to get this. I want to get this as right as I can. So you have Bailey try to throw a title to Sasha. And the referee catches her. And while the referee is distracted, you have Kyrie Sane handing the green mist capsule to Asuka, all shown on television. Cool. Sasha dodges the mist attempt from Asuka. She spits it in the face of the referee. So now the referee is dazed, basically. He's crying, basically, with his hand in his, uh, his head in his hand. So Asuka tries to lock Sasha Banks in the Asuka lock again. Bailey comes into the ring, hits her with the title. Then with Asuka down and prone, rather than wake up the referee, get him a water bottle, or as Dominic at Warm White Light pointed out to me on Twitter, go to the referee, drag him over, and use his arm to count one, two, three, which we have seen in wrestling. That's that's what I expected. (laughs) Many times we've seen it, right? Instead of doing all of that, she rips the shirt off the referee, puts it on, Counts one, two, three. The timekeeper looks at the announcer, the ring announcer, like, so what the hell was that? She forces the timekeeper to ring the bell. No announcements made. Commentary has nothing to say. And they play Sasha Banks music as if she won the title. Clearly, she's not the champion. Okay, Asuka's still the champion. We know this. I did not think we were going to get a clean finish to Asuka beating Sasha Banks. And I'll say this later about the Bailey match, but I'm okay with heel finishes given the characters. But this... This was just too far out and too much of a letdown type of finish. It completely diminished 
the insanely high quality match and action that we had for most of the bout. It took something that would have been an A or maybe an A plus with a real finish. And it took it down to, I don't know, a B at best. Zero point zero, Mr. Blutarski. It just felt cheap to me. I didn't like that finish. In fact, I hated that finish. It felt straight out of like WCW 2000. It did. It was like. It absolutely did. It's like, what is this? The only way it would have been more WCW is if it had ended the show. So uh, true. We, we, I don't think they gave us an explanation, right? Like theoretically, there should be a determination made by the end of On WWE.com, it says the, she, she barely counted one, two, three to make Sasha Banks the unofficial champion. So, so it, who's in charge champion. here? Yeah, like who's in charge here making that determination? I, I, I saw people comparing this to Paul Heyman when he counted for RVD to beat John Cena yeah. on the night stand. The difference is he was the leader of the brand. And yes. in ECW kayfabe, many times Paul Heyman has run in as basically a guest referee or the a person of authority yeah. who's able to serve as a referee. Bailey's nobody. So that's why had they just had her use the referee's arm to count. And then you have even the announcer announcer as the new champion and the bell rings and all that. Then there's confusion. And then on raw, you straighten it out. That's a better finish and something that's at least palatable as opposed to this, where it's a title match and they run out and everyone's just like thumbs up their asses sitting there like, so what was that? What just happened? So, and, and here's the other thing. Sh, sh, I know the referee could, well, one thing, the referee, where did he go? He was, he was staggering. He was pushed then, outside the ring. He was apparently just died because it was another like three minutes before they actually ended. Apparently he was just gone, but green mist to the face. That should be a DQ, right? I know, it was, I know it was accidental. I, I guess sometimes yes. kind of referees can make judgment calls. No, on this. Gr- green mist to the face, if it happens in front of a referee's eyes, is a disqualification. Generally, the goal of the mist is you do the mist yeah. and you hide the face. Right. And then the referee sees it after and is like, oh my God, well, it's too late. Yeah, well, I, I also mean mist to the face of the referee. Um, that would be a discretionary thing, I think. Yeah, sometimes that, like, well, I, sometimes I someone can run into a referee, but they don't call a DQ. But if you punch the referee blatantly, then it is. You know. Yeah, because that's what I thought was happening at first. I thought, oh, he's going to DQ that, and it's we'll go on to the next thing. And then a million things happened after that that went up. But yeah, just really weird, and we'll get into it in a minute. But like I said at the beginning of this, the whole things repeating themselves throughout the night uh, this was the second time we had a heel just declare themselves champion, and apparently that's how it is. So that was that was that also stuck in my head when that when that happened. It was just really unfortunate that a match of that quality. I mean, really, that match was great. Yeah, Oscar and Sasha Banks. Holy we, crap! Yeah, we'd wanted to see that that you know a, a real given time pay per view type of thing for. For a while, absolutely. That's a, that's a main event match on any pay-per-view. And it could yep. end with a real finish. It could have main evented this one. In retrospect, mm-hmm. it was very good that it didn't main event. But it was an incredible match. Um, Sasha, I was thinking during the match, I'm like, you know, we say it on the podcast, hey, top five wrestler, women's wrestler in the world. She's, in, she's encroaching on that number one spot. She's really close. That was just top-notch, top-to-bottom. From her, Oscar was incredible. And then to put that, to saddle that quality of a match with a finish like that, it, it hurts the match, it hurts the show, 
and you know, there's a difference between the matches we just talked about and the two that we'll wrap up here with, or really the three. But all three of those matches, McIntyre and Ziggler had a fine finish. We both agree that was really good. The other two matches, uh, Ray Mysterio, Seth Rollins, and this one. You maybe didn't love Mysterio Rollins. I really liked the action in that match. Both of them, I was I couldn't keep my eyes off the television. I was almost sweating watching them, like looking, I was grabbing for my bottle of water because things were going so fast and so high, high paced or fast paced, I should say, high energy and high action that I was just like, this is top tier wrestling. This is awesome. And both matches, I didn't hate the finish to Rollins Mysterio, but they kind of left you like, oh, that's how you're going to end something that was otherwise freaking awesome, yeah. you know? So that's where my disappointment came in. But for, the, for those reasons, people that say this was a terrible pay-per-view, I, how, I saw someone I think was at Ribsauce. Dude, I respect you, longtime listener. I really appreciate you. Um, but you tweeted, this is, I think, the worst pay-per-view I've seen in however long. It wasn't because there was so much good. But from a booking standpoint, the decisions that they made, there were a lot of really bad decisions that they made. No. I mean, we, we've had pay-per-views where just nothing of note happens. and there was, the, there was Roman Reigns and Samoa Joe main eventing the show. No one wanted to see. They booted out of the building. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, you know, I, 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 can ex- I can accept it if stuff happens. Even if it's weird and doesn't make sense, stuff happens. Stuff happened on the show. I was entertained enough. We'll give a final grade at the end, but I, I don't think it's the worst. I am interested. It, it was just a, it was just a very it was just a very weird kind of show. It was uneven. Where usually yeah. you get the action and the booking, and it matches. It's either really good or really bad. This for me, the action was really good. The booking was really bad. So I'm not going to fail a pay per view over that. Um, I mean, look, I watched Slam Reversary on Saturday night. This was better than Slam Reversary by any reasonable measure. So. We'll talk about that later too. Okay, let's move on. A couple matches left. SmackDown Women's Championship, Bailey defending and defeating Nikki Cross. I always like when a challenger goes on a really fast run at the beginning of a match and teases a quick upset. And it was kind of good to get the energetic cross in that mode at the beginning of this match. I mm-hmm. loved the elevated swinging neck breaker she did off the ring apron to the outside. Bailey, though, my problem was she hardly sold it. That's Cross's finisher. So she takes an awesome swinging neck breaker. And then stands up five seconds later, rolls into the ring for the finish of the match. So that was a big problem. Uh, But Cross, I thought, was given the opportunity to look incredible throughout the match until that pretty big mistake. As far as the finish, just like I said with Asuka and Sasha Banks, I do not mind a finish where heels blatantly cheat. They are heels. That I'm 100% fine with that. Especially when they've largely been winning clean or legitimately on television with maybe mild distractions. And Bailey and Sasha Banks have been booked very strong on television. I also like that, yeah, she used that four-finger ring, I guess that said boss on it. But Bailey and Banks, they didn't make it like, no, we didn't do anything. We won clean. They taunted Nikki Cross with a four-finger ring and mm-hmm. laughed that she got punched in the stomach and that's how she lost. So I thought it was dastardly, devious, and true heel antics. And I thought it was a really good match. Nikki Cross and Bailey, I thought both did a really good job. Yeah, I'm always I'm always for heels being heels. And and you know, it's a finish we've seen a number of times on AEW with MJF in, in the ring. Yes. Um, but it was fine. I, I thought it was good. It was good match, good energy, good back and forth. Uh and I again I was fine with the finish. And they there was a good camera shot. I'm not I, I assume I don't know if they set it up that way, but 
you know, when, when it's tossed out of the ring and, and yeah. Bailey wins and the camera shots right it and it's boss sticking up like the, the ring is angled up the right direction. Ended up being a really good shot on top of all that. And like you said, when they're taunting exactly what happened, good. I, I, I like it. I just really fun uh, top to bottom. Yeah. I mean, they cheated and they're like, we cheated. What are you going to do about it? Yeah. And so I'm, I'm totally fine with that when heels do that. Uh, SmackDown Tag Team Champion. Actually, but before we go, go this, so last thing on Bailey. Later on, Charlie gives the update on Rey Mysterio's eye. Goes into very specific medical. And by the <laughs> way, I, I, I like that they just didn't let it like lay. And they also said in the update, Mysterio will probably or, or could save his eyesight. So yeah, right away they're telling you, hey, this happened, but you know when he is eventually able to see again, don't be surprised. And shout out to Charlie Caruso for remembering all those medical terms they i know her. yeah uh, good good job on her part i i was surprised uh, he was not immediately rushed to the hospital but i guess they said he did go to a local medical facility local medical point. facility so he, he he did get there but then when when Char- i think it was charlie was talking to bailey and bailey starts giving this really somber talk about how much ray mysterio means and i'm like oh i'm torn here like she's she's the evil character but you know, she is, they are selling Ray here. So like, okay, I, I can kind of get this. And then when she, you know, pulls it back and says, sorry, you didn't see me winning two belts, you know, clanging them together, just great, continues to be great promo on top of cheating in a match, continue to taunt and taunting someone who lost their eye later in the night. Just tremendous. Yeah, she's doing great heel work. I think she is on the best run of her career right now. Even, even including the Bailey and NXT that people like. Yeah, so. absolutely. Uh, SmackDown Tag Team Championships. The surprise of the night in terms of finish, uh, Cesaro and Shinsuke Nakamura winning the titles over New Day in a tables match. Going back to Friday, because there is some stuff that happens we tape before the go-home SmackDown because it's on Fridays, which is horrible. Um, But I thought it was silly. I thought it was silly for them not to announce earlier in the week that Cesaro and Big E would be fighting for the stipulation ahead of SmackDown. That's another reason to tune in. Really, the only thing they announced was the Intercontinental title match. Um, so I enjoyed the promo that they did in that situation. We'll talk more about SmackDown as a whole on Tuesday's regular WWE show. We also don't normally cover kickoff show stuff that happens, not matches, but segments. But I absolutely loved, I don't know if you watched the kickoff show, but New Day did a, a promo type deal and they brought in Devon Dudley as a tables expert. So <laughs> Devon's there. And I did Biggie, not see that. I did yeah, not see that. So Biggie's cutting a promo with Devon. They're going back and forth. It was just great. I mean, it was just a little bit of nostalgia using Devon. They basically said to him, like, hey, Devon, what is the secret to a tables match? He's like, well, you see, Biggie, what you do is you get your opponent and you put them through a table. And, you know, and then him and like Kofi are looking at each other, like, oh, it's pretty smart, you know? So it, it was just really good entertaining. It, I'm not necessarily saying you guys should watch the kickoff show if you didn't. I would find that on WWE's Twitter page. It's a quick pop. I think you'll enjoy it. On to the match itself. I thought there was a really cool spot with Biggie doing that like tope spear of Cesaro, but just missing the table. I don't think I've ever seen that before in a tables match. That was really cool. This wasn't necessarily a great match, all things considered, but most tables matches, tables only stipulation matches fail to deliver because you're waiting for that spot at the end. You want it to be a hardcore type of match, but the hardcore action ends the match. So because of that, it's always difficult to have a good tables match. It's all about the final moment. And I think, exactly. we, saw, and I think we saw with Cody and Big Show uh, many years ago when they did a tables match and Big Show was standing on the apron 
and he had his hands on the top rope and I think Cody kicked him and Big Show's foot slipped and he stepped through the table and you saw the shocked expression on his face and the referee rang the bell. That's a great finish to a tables <laughs> match, right? Yeah. And this was another one. You cannot question the work of all four men. The finish was smart and definitive with a top rope powerbomb to the outside of Kofi Kingston going through two tables. And then Kofi sold the hell out of it. He laid motionless all the way until they basically went to commercial break. I'm glad to see some shakeup in the WWE tag team division. New Day being champions eight, nine, however many times. It is stale at this point. I'm totally fine with them winning multiple titles. But you have Big E, who is a capable mid-carter. You have Kofi. Yes, he's main evented. He's a capable mid-carter. Either of them at any time could move into a main event role. Xavier Woods isn't there. I don't know exactly what they're going to do. Maybe Woods is almost healthy, and they're kind of saying, hey, why don't we give these guys a month and a half off and bring all three of them back together? Maybe they're going to do some mid-card stuff with them. Maybe Kingston wants off and Big E is going to keep wrestling. I don't know exactly what they're going to do. But I thought it was fresh and different for Cesaro and Shinsuke Nakamura to win the titles. And I will leave you on this, and you can give me your thoughts. Shinsuke Nakamura is a tag team champion for the first time in WWE and for the first time since 2005, 15 years ago, he teamed with Tanahashi in New Japan. So it's a big moment for Nakamura. Cesaro back in the title picture, that's always positive. And New Day no longer champions. Hey, look, it was getting stale. So I'm pretty happy, all things considered, with this. Well, I mean, Biggie and Kofi are both singles main eventers, I think. I mean, Kofi's a former world champion and won at WrestleMania. I'm just saying as of today. I'm just saying as of today. No, 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 no. Yeah, I got you. So you're right in that the tables match, like the big spot is the finish. So it's gotta, it's gotta be good. And this was a good one, but it's kind of like what I said with the Ray and Seth thing is that I was kind of just waiting for that moment to come. And all the in-between stuff was hard to get invested in because it's yeah. all the whole point of the match is the end. It's not about taking you on a journey necessarily. So, uh, not, so not only shout out Shinsuke Nakamura, Cesaro is a tag team champion with his third different partner now. Yeah, that's correct. He, with Tyson Kidd, with Sheamus and Nakamura. He is clearly an incredible tag team wrestler, and I know everybody wants him to get singles runs. But, hey, he's he is getting belts, getting opportunities, and it's good. The only thing is now moving forward, I you know, I, the SmackDown tag team division is not much of anything. Miz and Morrison are kind of a team, kind of not. Uh, don't really know where it goes from there, but I, I, I'm always happy when I see Cesaro get a belt. And, uh, you know, Nakamura in WWE hasn't really been my jam, but I think they've been a pretty good tag team together, these guys. And so happy for them and great finish. Uh, and I think a good way to have started that show. I think so too. Um, I'm just excited that that division is going to get freshened up a little bit on SmackDown. I'm curious to kind of see what they do on Raw. Um, tag team wrestling in WWE, for a while it was great. Um, it's kind of lackluster at this point. Obviously, Usos aren't there. Revival are gone. New things need to happen. I think Cesaro and Nakamura being champions is a really good first step, especially at this time. A couple other things to get to before we finish about the pay-per-view. There was supposed to be a United States Championship match, Apollo Crews, defending against MVP. And if you did not yet, Please, I interviewed Apollo Crews for a very special interview on this podcast on Friday. Go ahead and listen to it. It's a very short show. 
but a great, in my opinion, interview with Apollo Crews. He talks about working with Paul Heyman, his time in NXT, whether he should have been in NXT a little bit longer, representation on the main roster, uh, basically his entire career to the point that he didn't know if he was ever going to get a big opportunity, how Ricochet is kind of going through some stuff like that now. It's a really good interview. I hope you all go back and listen to it. Uh, WWE announced on the show that Cruz did not pass his pre-match physical and therefore was unable to compete. MVP came out, announced that he won by forfeit and was therefore the champion, even though it wasn't official. I mean, he already said he was the champion and it wasn't official. So now he's just doubly the champion unofficially. Obviously, we hope Cruz is okay. I hate to speculate, but I think by default these days, especially given the explanation that WWE gave, one might think that he tested positive for coronavirus. I hope that's not the case. I hope he's able to show up Monday on Raw and continue the storyline. I don't exactly know what the plans are right now, um, but it was a little bit disappointing not to have that match. I was pretty excited for it, to be honest with you. Yeah, and um, this, you know, like I said, this came before the Bailey thing, so it was the first time a heel champion is just taking a belt and declaring themselves champion. I know MVP had already kind of been doing that. Um, I think you know if if that was going to be the case with Bailey, with that way that match was booked, just have MVP cut a promo. Don't have him do an entrance and then you know right. have the belt set up. Just work some other way around it. But make hell make MVP an interim champion. Have him defend the title. Yeah, I, honestly, and I, have a unification match on Raw. I, I wish they would do that much more often. I wish they had done that with the cruiserweight belt. You know, UFC does that all the time. Well, they did do that with the cruiserweight title, actually, but Jordan Devlin's not able to come back. That's but, true. But technically on NXT right now, Santos Escobar is the interim cruiserweight champion. Just FYI. Okay. I, I guess I had never seen the interim title. Good, good. But yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, I, I, I love the idea of interim champion. I, I wish they would have declared it that way or whatever. But I've liked this gimmick of MVP just carrying around the belt, saying he's champion. It's it's a good heel gimmick. It's going to be weird that two different people are doing it now. Uh, but um, yeah, I think there was other ways you could have done it. But hey, we got to hear MVP's entrance, so I'm not going to put yeah. too much. Yeah, we got the full thing. That was great. Yes. And, and and look, they are giving us reasons to tune in on Monday. Like, I hated the, listen, I hated the finish to Asuka Sasha Banks, okay? But I do I want to watch Monday and find out is she actually champion? What are they going to do? Are they going to give us another match at the 9, nine o'clock hour of the show, another Raw Women's title match? And if they are, guess who's going to watch the hell out of it? I am. So, you know, the pay-per-view booking sucked, yes, but there are some. there is some intrigue to go watch the TV show and find out what happens. We also had a kickoff well, show. I, I will say, I, I have to imagine the, the main event Monday is the big show. Yes. Unsanctioned match. So, it, like I said, it, it is kind of weird that, you know, they, they put less emphasis on this pay-per-view by having some big matches on, on Raw during the week. So maybe, you know, as they're trying to get TV ratings back up, you know, some of these pay-per-views kind of become B-level shows that are just meant to kind of so give you another day worth of stuff. They may well do that to sell TV, 100%. Yeah, right. and, and that is something that WWE has done before. And honestly, when they did it, it actually worked for them. And, and that, that was the WCW model. It, yes, it absolutely was. They you know, WWF, yeah, WWF was about building you up to the pay-per-view and Nitro was about giving you something that would make you turn it. And I think, I, I'm assuming you agree with me, I would much rather build up to the pay-per-view, get a finish, real finish, and either that ends the feud and the people move on and things start anew, or it continues the feud if there's a good reason for a rematch or whatever the case might be. But, you know, it, th this was very heavy in 
tune into our television programs this week for a resolution on these items. And as you mentioned, they already took two matches off the pay-per-view. Randy Orton against Big Show in an unsanctioned match. Main event of Raw this week. Jeff Hardy versus Sheamus in a bar fight. Main event of SmackDown this week. Both would have been on the show. They would have been well-placed on the show. Those are off. Then they take the U.S. title match off, and the show ends in two and a half hours. So it was disappointing from that regard as well that, hey, we were getting ready for this pay-per-view where you know, it looked like there were going to be three additional matches, and we ended up getting none of them. So that's, you know, that's, that, that takes me down in the dumps a little bit too. They did add that kickoff show match between Kevin Owens and Murphy. I thought it was a fantastic match. That's among the better ones that we've seen on pre-shows, especially during this Performance Center era. Murphy, again, looked awesome. He did the V-Trigger Kamigoye and Brainbuster trio. That was sick. And while it ended predictably, obviously, with a super kick and stunner for Kevin Owens, it was still a really good feature performance for Murphy. He has got to start winning some of these matches. Yeah, I didn't see the match. I had to take care of some stuff before the show, but I mean to go back and watch it because when I saw those two guys were were fighting, I was like, oh, I know this is going to be good. And it kind of, you know, since it was a two and a half hour show, it kind of brings back the, you know, what do we really have these kickoff shows for? Could you have just slid that match into the main show? I guess there wasn't much of a story, so maybe not. I don't know, but 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 um, I, I do intend to go back and watch it because I uh, am excited to see those guys. For sure. Now, uh, when we're looking at the show and our grade, and we do have some DM slides before we get out of here, but in the pre-show, I polled our audience on Twitter and 5% expected an A show, 49% a B, 38% a C, and 8% a D or F. So 87% of you expected an average to above average show. On the post show, those same numbers, 8% an A, so up 3%. 35% to B, that's down 13%. 35% C, about the same. 24.5% DF. So that means there are some people who really liked the show more than they expected, and a lot of people who really did not like the show. Nevertheless, 69% of you, nice, uh, said the show was average to above average, both 35%, basically 34.5%, B and C. And that's kind of where I stand. You know, a lot of of this show was good. The action, as I said, in some of these matches was really good. I thought the Dolph Ziggler, Drew McIntyre match stood out, no question. The tables match was average. The swan fight was probably a D. So you average the D and the A, and everything else for me was a B or a C of some level. I'm probably going to wind up giving the show a C+. Um, just, could, just as easily could have been a B minus. The action is the entirety of the C plus and the booking is the entirety of the area that I wasn't able to grade it further. I can't give it a B grade when we had that many matches that were either unresolved, poorly booked, or just confusing. And there's really, there's, th- you know, two of them in particular for me, the women's match, Asuka uh, and Sasha Banks and the main event, the Swamp Fight. So two of the final three matches left a sour taste in my mouth. And I, I can't, I don't know if you can give a show a B or an A grade with that being the case. At least I can't. Yeah, see, I'm, I'm right in that same range. I'm going to lean toward the B minus just because we had stuff happen. You know, it wasn't great execution. It was weird. But we have a possible title change for the for the Robin champ. We have no way, no way. potential potentially the death of Braun Strowman. 
you know, we have new tag team champs. I don't know what to make of the U.S. champ. So th- there were title changes and, and meaningful results, even if those results were weird. We also lost an eye. Obviously, Raymond Stewart may never see again. Uh, out of By the way, a couple months after being thrown off a building. Yes. You know, it's been a tough year for Rey Mysterio, um, you know, almost dying, losing his eye. Uh, the, the guy deserves some time off. Um, hopefully he gets that and can see again and can see what uh, what a beautiful son he has. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to give it a B minus just because uh, because stuff happened it, it wasn't it wasn't clean it was weird but i I've, we've had pay-per-views where there's schmaz finishes and it's and there's no result and it's just meant to take us to another day and it's clear they had no plan nothing was advanced a lot of stuff was advanced in the show you know for better or for worse it still happened and so i, I give it a, a b minus for that and from an atmospheric perspective it felt maybe the most like a pay-per-view that we've really seen because the crowd was really into it throughout the entire thing. It was completely live with the exception of the main event. Um, it felt like it really mattered to me. And I think that is part of the reason why I'm giving it the, and I know I'm giving it a C plus, but I'm giving it that extra credit. I think if you're giving this a D or an F, or if you were at least before listening to the show, I hope that we at least convinced you that it was better than you thought it was in the moment. If you're, I cannot support anyone giving it an A, I certainly can't support anyone giving it an F. Yeah. I can respect the D. I can respect the C. I can respect the B. Anywhere I, in that range, I, I can understand. Let, let me put it this way. There have been many WWE pay-per-views with far worse action. There have been many WWE pay-per-views with far better booking. But the action was so good and so entertaining that the booking on its own can't ruin this for me. I can't agree that it's the worst pay-per-view, like Ribs at Ribsaw said. Um, that WWE's put out in a while. It's just, it doesn't go to that level. It just doesn't. I, no, I, I did not feel like I wasted my time tonight. And, agreed, and there, agreed. There have been shows where you do feel it. So, so if, exactly. if, if that's the case, I, I can't give it a, a D or an F. That, that's, exactly, that's exactly right. If you come out of it and you were entertained, it cannot be an F. Now, whether it's a B, C, or D, that depends on you know how you want to rate it. But I was entertained tonight. But was I also frustrated? Yeah, I was pretty frustrated yeah. as well. Now, before we get out of here, I do have a couple DMs. I'm going to run through them pretty quick. I'm not really going to, we're not going to do many answers to them, but Tristan Ottoliano at Ottoliano underscore, underscore Tristan, longtime listener, have not heard from him in a while. I got a vent. I appreciate the content that WWE is bringing. And so often I give them a pass, but the finishes in Seth versus Ray and Oscar versus Charlotte were just so insulting, so bad that he took me out of how good the matches were and just kind of made me mad at even watching the event. Why book something you can't fulfill? Why back yourself into a corner like that? So we, we already talked about that, but I wanted to read his DM and then this one. Brett Charles uh, Mil- Millam. Yeah, at Brett underscore Millam. He says, going into Extreme Rules, I expected a B-level show, and damn it, I'm leaving with a solid A-. minus. Not a single Ooh. bad match on the card, not even a middling match. Everything was good to great, and it seems like you may not have liked it, Silver King, we got another fun cinematic match. So you know what? Like he's giving it an A. I don't agree. I will never agree with that. But that just shows you how different two people, both long-term listeners of this show. So people that know my mindset, know your mindset, know how we talk about wrestling and listen to us talk about wrestling. Two of them saw this completely differently. And that's why I'm in that C range. That's why I'm at the C plus. 
because I, I just think that there was so much wrong with the show that it's really impossible to give it that type of high grade. I, I have to say what, what, what Brett said does hammer something else home. Let's take out all the finishes to the matches, okay? In terms of the names that were booked on this pay-per-view, the card that was presented, these are all mid-card to main event names. Almost all of them put on really good, entertaining matches, but then it's you have to judge it on how things finished. If you if if these were all normal finishes to all these matches, and maybe you take out the Wyatt Swan fight, it's it's an A show. But you just have to start taking demerits and, and start knocking things down pegs, and that's kind of I think what happened tonight. Yeah, for me, you know, the, the action is the action. What, what what gets me into just wrestling more than anything else, I think we kind of have a, a divide here. Is is uh, the general stories and the characters and if stuff is happening, stuff is moving forward. You know, a great match is a great match. It sucks me in, you know, NXT, can, you know, NXT takeovers are the best for stuff like that. But a lot of times on, on, on WWE shows, maybe it's because we've been so jaded over the years, but when I felt like they're trying to do something, you know, that, that I can get behind it. You know, we can have a great match, but if it's a schmaz finish and nothing happens, I hate it. We can have a great match, and a schmaz finish, but something moved forward, I can get behind that. And that's what a lot of tonight was. Yeah, I think that's 100% fair. And we'll leave on this, Adam X. Parsons at Adam X. Parsons. What was the overall better show, Slammiversary or Extreme Rules? I understand why you're asking the question. I did watch Slammiversary on Saturday, thanks to Impact for giving me that opportunity. Slammiversary, the women's match, Jordan Grace against Deanna Praza was really good. It was not as good as either of the women's matches on this card, not counting the Asuka-Sasha finish. I'm just talking about the action. It was a very good match. The main event, I thought they did a really good job with a double swerve, maybe almost even a triple swerve. Um, and now, you know, saying, hey, a former world champion is going to be in the match. Everyone thinks it's EC3. It ends up being, well, you see Rich Swan first. You're like, what the hell is this? Then Eric Young shows up. You're like, oh, okay, they're fulfilling it, but EC3 is not there. You think the pay-per-view's over. You see Gallows and Anderson at the very end, right as it's about to go off the air, you see a vignette from EC3. So I did appreciate those two matches. I thought the work was good. Eddie Edwards was impressive. Good. The rest of that pay-per-view, just not for me. It is not of the level of wrestling that WWE, AEW, et cetera is. Am I interested maybe in some of the storylines? Yeah, I'm going to give Impact a shot most likely. But Slammiversary as a pay-per-view, D+. You know, for Impact pay-per-view, maybe it was really good, but I don't normally watch Impact pay-per-views. But most of those matches weren't of a quality. The storytelling wasn't good. The production wasn't very good. Extreme Rules ultimately was a average show. And Slammiversary, I don't think, lived up to it. So it's a fair question, but um, Extreme Rules was better. That's so kind of how I'll leave it. So I, I didn't watch Slammiversary. I, I don't watch Impact. I haven't. I, I did for a period in like, 13, 14, 15, maybe 2013, 14, 15. Um, it, it, seeing it come through on Twitter, it felt like a, it felt like a WCW or old TNA type of thing where I just kept seeing so many former WWE people who got released <laughs> right. showing up on the show. Like here's another, right. here's the good brothers, Deanna Prazo here. And, and then at the end you get EC3. And I saw some people uh, on Twitter were not really kind of, didn't really care for EC3 showing up in impact or about to show up in impact. But I have to say as someone who watched him during his big run there, he was very, very good impact EC three, very good talker, wrestler character. And the, the, the match with spud rockstar spud 
Drake Maverick in England that ends with him shaving Rockstar Spud's head. I think is one of the best heel moments of the decade. Hmm. I'd recommend people go back and watch that match. It's an incredibly told story. Obviously, those guys are great friends. Uh, so I I, I, I kind of want to take a, a look at Impact now that I know EC3 is is back there. And I just am reminded that WWE gave him a gimmick where he doesn't talk. This incredible. Well, oh, forget that. They just wait. They just didn't use it. <laughs> yeah, yeah I know. But I, yeah, just I, I still can't believe that happened. Uh, but I, I actually, it was on my timeline a lot Saturday night. And I kind of, I have to look up if I have access and, and, and when it's on. I don't even know what day Impact is on. But uh, EC3 being back makes me want to go check that out again. Yeah, I do want to see Impact TV. And again, people, a lot of people ask, well, why the hell if they had EC3, why wouldn't they use them on the pay-per-view? Because they already got your money. They got your money by promoting and they delivered. They didn't lie to you. They said, we're going to bring back a lot of former Impact people. You're going to be really happy and excited. And they did. They brought back Gallows and Anderson, the Motor City Machine Guns. Deanna Prazo had already been there. Um, she, I don't think she was a returner. She just showed up. She was there. Eric Young, Rich Swan came back from injury. So they delivered on their promise. And they still delivered. They still gave you EC3 at the end, but they did not need to put EC3 in that title match because what are you going to do? You're either going to put him in the match and he's going to win the title. And then there's nowhere to go for him. He's already on top. Or you put him in the match and he loses. It was an elimination match. He gets eliminated. And then you're like, wait, EC3 just debuted and they had him lose? So no. So they already got our money. They did their job. They gave us a pay-per-view. They delivered on their promises. And they still said, hey, you know what? I know you guys may be down about EC3 not being here. We'll give you a vignette at the end. We'll tease you to tune into our Impact Wrestling show. So I thought that was totally fine, totally acceptable. Good on them. And, you know, it, I watched it. I enjoyed it. But when you're comparing it to Extreme Rules, it just did not compare. Um, that said, Chris, that was the instant analysis of WWE Extreme Rules. In fact, the, the horror, horror show. The horror show. At WWE Extreme Rules. I don't know how many more times we're going to use that. I don't know if I'm going to keep it on the soundboard. So I wanted to give Bailey her just to all keep it. Uh, it was it was a really good sound drop, Bailey. Appreciate it. You took us through the last couple of weeks with a beauty, a gem right there. But that, again, that was the instant analysis of Extreme Rules. I appreciate you all listening. Please head on over to Apple Podcasts. Drop a five-star rating and review for this podcast. Stop being marks for yourselves and... And go ahead and follow us as well on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Again, you can follow me at Silverstein Adam. And you can follow Chris at Chris Vanini. If you have not listened to it yet, check out our Apollo Crews interview episode from Friday. This is the instant analysis, obviously, Sunday, immediately after Extreme Rules went off the air. And we will be back Tuesday for a full breakdown of everything else that happened on SmackDown this week, along with what goes down Monday night on Raw. It was a long show. It's a long night. Appreciate all of you sticking with us. I'm not even going to go Randy Savage. I'm saying goodbye for him. We'll talk to you on Tuesday. Bye for now.